Welcome to Crypto Sapiens, a show that hosts lively discussions with innovative Web3 builders to help you learn about decentralized money systems, including Ethereum, Bitcoin, and DeFi. The podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Crypto Sapiens is presented in partnership with Bankless DAO, a movement for pioneers seeking freedom from the limitations of the traditional financial system. Bankless DAO will help the world go bankless by creating user-friendly on-ramps for people to discover decentralized financial technologies through education, media, and culture. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode, OtterSpace, who are busy making Web3 less financialized. Their protocol and app lets communities build and issue badges to members to represent things like levels, roles, achievements, membership, and skills. Badges are earned, not bought. They are non-tradable coordination primitives for communities. You can use badges for governance and snapshot, token gating with guild, and you can build your own custom extensions with their composable tools. If you've been thinking about how to run non-financial governance, represent roles and permissions on chain, or recognize contributions via social recognition, check out OtterSpace at OtterSpace underscore XYZ on Twitter or at OtterSpace.XYZ. Hello, and welcome back to Crypto Sapiens. Today's episode is a bit different than others you may have grown familiar with. It is one of a four-part miniseries that explores Web3 identity. W3ID is a series co-hosted by Crypto Sapiens and many of the top Web3 builders, and seeks to demystify digital identity and present to you, our dear listeners, with many of the novel applications that are being developed today. I truly hope you enjoy this content and find it useful in your crypto journey. So without further ado, let's get started. Really excited to have so many amazing people up here on the stage. Uh, I think we kind of briefly went through some introductions there, Philip, Aaron, uh, David, Nathan. Um, so I think if you wanted to, uh, maybe just a, a very brief intro, like 30 seconds or a minute, if you wanted to talk about some of the stuff you're doing, so the audience who's listening uh, kind of gets a bit, a bit of a uh, reference point to how the work that you're doing may influence some of the discussion that we're having, which today is around uh, DAO governance and really looking to see how identity and reputation could potentially play into that. Uh, so uh, I have Philip right next to me. So Philip, would you mind giving a brief intro to yourself? Uh, yeah, so I'm Philip. I work a lot on the Bright ID project. Uh, saw this need to figure out decentralized digital identity a long time ago. Um, also deeply involved in a whole lot of DAOs uh, and just really eager to, to get this figured out. Wonderful. Thank you, Philip. And definitely, I think anybody who's been in the space um, for any amount of time would definitely recognize you and Bright ID because I think it's just one of those projects that's been uh, incredibly valuable in the research and implementation of uh, identity solutions. Uh, and check out the, the, the social graph. I think the Bright ID graph is actually probably one of the coolest ones out there. So if you haven't had a chance to look at that, please do. Um, Aaron, same. Would you mind giving a brief introduction to yourself and what you do in this space? Yeah, for sure. Um, my name is Aaron uh, Soskin. I'm a founder of a project called Govern. 
Um, and we're essentially building tools to empower DAO contributors and constituents. Um, our form right now makes it really easy for DAO contributors to track and record their DAO contributions so that they can own them and more easily be rewarded and compensated by the DAOs. Uh, you can think about it like a contribution graph uh, that we're creating like a contribution graph for you to see where you're contributing to all these things. Uh, so, so we're working on, and I would echo what, what you said also while we're, while we're pumping up Philip. Uh, Philip has been the Bright ID team has been killing it and talking about identity before it was cool. Um, there was a time Philip and I were talking every week and I, and I miss those times. So it's good to see you, Philip. Miss you too, buddy. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Well, bringing everybody back together again. That's, that's amazing. Uh, and thank you for sharing that. I personally, I have to be honest, I need to explore the govern ecosystem a little bit more. Obviously I know about it. I've been following it on Twitter, uh, for some time. Uh, but certainly what you just mentioned there, I think really, uh, kind of, lit a bulb like the whole contribution graph uh i'd really need to explore that because i think that that is uh, especially as we talk about DAOs, is certainly a uh, a big uh point of reference for our digital identities so thank you for that uh david do you want to introduce orange briefly and you know uh kind of the some of the work that's being done there uh, as well as yourself yeah so um I'm David. I'm in charge of um, <clears throat> basically marketing for Orange. So, you know, if you see Orange Twitter, that's that's probably me um, crafting those. But um, yeah, so, you know, Orange essentially, it's um, we're, we aim to be like um, essentially a reputation infrastructure for Web3. Um, so, you know, we help essentially DAOs, NFT communities, um, any type of project integrate uh, reputation systems into their events. Um, for example, moving beyond token-weighted voting to reputation-weighted voting, um, reputation-based airdrops, um, just any number of things that, um, you know, can help, you know, push the notion of reputation forward in Web3 and make it more uh, meaningful and um, and have more utility. So... That's essentially um, what Orange does, and you know we're glad to work with people like Snapshot and um, you know a lot of other good, great projects. So, yeah, I guess that's the kind of summary there. I don't know, Humpty, if you had anything to add to that, um, but yeah, great to be here, and really look forward to this discussion. Uh, um, anything around ID is definitely um, ap applicable and of interest to, to what we do with reputation as it is kind of the foundation of reputation. Uh, no, I think that's fine. Uh, we could definitely build from that as throughout the conversation. Um, and you did mention Snapshot. Great to see Nathan up here. I really am excited to hear some of the things that they're thinking about uh, being, you know, I, I would say one of the predominant um, governance platforms for Web3. How you doing, Nathan? Uh, yeah, all good. So, uh, yeah, for people who don't uh, know Snapshot, it's kind of like a hybrid uh, on-chain, off-chain uh, voting uh, where you sign a message, but you don't have, actually have to make a transaction. And kind of the stuff we're thinking about is uh, bringing governance, like bringing Snapshot on-chain. Uh, and to do so, we're going to use L2s and more precisely Starknet. Uh, that project is called uh, Snapshot X. And yeah, the idea is to have really like self-sovereign governance where only governance itself can kind of modify the parameters of uh, whatever your community's rules are. Uh, so yeah, I think that's one of the big focus. And the other focus is just uh, accessibility, accessibility, accessibility. Always making sure that as many people as possible can uh, 
participate in DAO governance and to make it kind of as fun as possible to access uh, DAO governance just to kind of encourage people to come. It's like uh, identity and reputation matter a lot to us because if you feel like you personally belong and have a, an importance uh, in a community, you're more likely to come vote, to share ideas and to really kind of push the DAO forward. So um, definitely with partners like Orange, but lots of other partners as well, we're thinking about like how best to integrate all these cool ideas into a voting system. Amazing, amazing. And we do have two new, I guess, uh, panelists today uh, who just recently joined uh, the CryptoSapiens uh, Web3 Identity channel, uh, where we coordinate uh, with these type of discussions. Uh, Enrico, uh, I recently actually chatted with you to kind of learn a little bit about what's going on over at IDEN3 and Polygon ID. How are you doing, man? Uh, give an introduction to yourself and, you know, some of the work that you're doing uh, at those projects. Yeah, hi, I'm here. Hi, everyone. Uh, yes, so basically I'm uh, mostly a writer, but I'm also a developer at uh, Polygon ID and at IDEN3, which is the underlying protocol on which uh, Polygon ID is built. And we are basically building uh, the centralized identity, the centralized private identity, actually, because we work a lot with uh, zero knowledge proof. And yeah, Polygon ID is mostly a suite of tools to make the interaction with item free easier because uh, actually right now it's a pretty for hardcore ZK developers to interact with item free, but we are trying to make it easy for everyone to create identities and manage the verification, the issuance, everything like that. And um, yeah, I think like we are kind of um, uh, close to um, the DAO ecosystem because currently we are working with the Polygon DAO with our first, uh, let's say the the first release of uh, Polygon ID. But like soon it will be permissionless for everyone to join, to attestate, to verify. So. Yeah, I think this is like something really powerful that can be used to many, by many DAOs, basically. So, and yeah, I'm uh, really excited to discuss with you guys. Yeah, thank you so much for, for jumping up here and joining us. And then lastly, Crispy just recently joined us as well. I'd love to learn kind of some of the stuff you had done in the past and definitely hopefully that can uh, allow us to frame some of these questions uh, for you as well. Cool. Hello, everyone. I'm Chris. Um, I found it. So thanks for inviting me up. I was actually planning on lurking today, but uh, happy to you know share what I can share if it's valuable. But I founded a company um, actually was a, uh, back in 17 called Life ID. We were uh, attempting to take Web3 tech and um, solve Web2 identity problems. Um, that particular project, I worked on it for about three years. Uh, yeah, so that like that's my background. I still care a lot about privacy and identity, and I've learned so much about the space. I'm not currently working on an ID identity product per se, but I care a lot about you know how we develop the tooling around preserving our privacy and making sure we don't re-enable the same surveillance capital pro capital problems we had uh, with Web two. So yeah, just uh, just want to contribute to pushing forward on on great ideas. Um, so that's my background. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for giving that background. So I guess, uh, let's just get started on the conversation. 
Today's today's conversation really revolves around DAO governance and and really exploring that from the lens of identity, you know, self-sovereign identity and reputation, and how those uh, you know different elements of Web three could potentially unlock a new way of governing DAOs um, and maybe just opening up new opportunities generally for contributors. Uh, so since we have uh, Nathan up here on the stage. I would I was I would be curious if you wouldn't mind kicking us off with just maybe a very brief rundown to governance today and kind of how you know the that governance works and then maybe we can kind of expand from there afterwards to kind of maybe the potential challenges or opportunities that come from those uh, the way that we govern uh, DAOs today and maybe you can frame that around how uh, snapshot looks at governance just generally. Um, yeah, I, I think like a metaphor I like to. Not even a metaphor, really, just kind of a key of understanding I like to use is DAOs are good in the middle and humans around it. And what I that DAOs are all about code, I think DAOs are even more about humans than any other type of organization. But the code in is what kind of dictates the rules of the game. And if the game is quite clear, everyone in the game knows what the rules are, how you gain points and uh, and... and there's no you know, hole in the rule that makes it so that if you act in a devious way, you gain more points. Well, you've got a really good system for human coordination. So on a very like basic level, DAO governance is about finding a really good way of doing human coordination that enables humans to kind of work together for a goal and not have to kind of have like alter uh, motives or think about what others might, you know, use to cheat or, uh, you know, gain, gain an unfair advantage. So a really well-built DAO wins when the community wins and a really, and, you know, and, and vice versa, a, a really, uh, a community wins when the DAO wins. And then you get like bigger DAOs, you get maybe bigger rewards for people participating, that kind of thing. So if you think about like the most basic example of DAO governance is kind of how Bitcoin works. So this is like extreme governance uh, minimization. There's almost no discussion, but the rules of the DAO are quite clear. So all the actors know what to do, how to react to each other. And if they all play the game correctly, well, they all get, they all gain something from it. And there's no real way of kind of, you know, destroying someone else just, you know, to get more points. So, DAOs, human organizations, clear set of rules, and these rules, you can enforce them in many different ways. Often, they're kind of enforced in a, you know, in a way that leverages some of the products that we've heard about already. You know, for example, you might want to know if all the people in your DAOs are, are humans, that might be meant to play the game. So you're going to use something like Bright Idea, to get a better sense of who's an actual human and who's trying to bot this game. Or you're going to use something like Orange Protocol to get a better idea of what the different players in the game have been up to in the past. And you're going to take some of these, you know, some of these uh, results and you're going to decide that this is how people in your DAO vote. And this could be about tokens, this could be about NFTs, could be about uh, one person, one vote. All of these are, are quite possible. So you're going to use something like snapshots to transform 
these characteristics into voting power. And then finally, you're going to have some level of execution, uh, and either it's automatic execution, uh, or you're going to use maybe an Oracle, uh, like SafeSnap, or you're just going to use a multi-sig where different trusted member community enact the, whatever the community decided to do. So I think DAO governance is that process, the process of making decisions that are in the interest of the DAO in a way that, um, that favors certain verifiable things that DAO members are. And this kind of reads the level of high-level decision-making where your CEO is going to make a decision and nobody else is going to have uh, a say in it. Uh, so I think these ideas behind them of like kind of horizontality, transparency, and decentralization are really key in the process of DAO governance. Thank you. That's a wonderful breakdown and quite comprehensive. Um, and I appreciate you also kind of alluding to some of the maybe opportunities here, as we discussed earlier, you know, by using other, you know, kind of data points, if you will, or parts of our Web3 life, such as our humanness, you know, proof of humanity, if you will, um, and also uh, the ability to see how uh, our Web3 activities may uh, potentially together unlock a uh, much more robust and just richer experience for people that are uh, operating in DAOs. Um, so I guess one of the questions that I would uh, kind of throw out to, 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 the, to the group is, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen where maybe you've, uh, through, through the governance, whether it's, you know, just generally through soft governance or hard governance as potential challenges where you've seen clear opportunities for uh, self-sovereign identities to kind of uh, unlock this kind of richer experience. David, I wonder if you would want to maybe speak a little bit to some of the things that Orange has seen as um, kind of spaces where self-sovereign identity can certainly unlock, uh, you know, kind of a richer governance experience. Yeah, um, that's, that's interesting. Um, I think, the first thing that comes to mind, I, I suppose, is we had like a really interesting discussion on decentralized science a couple weeks ago. And I know that maybe doesn't relate 100% to governance, but, um, you know, a lot of these uh, research, um, you know, initiatives are now turning into DAOs within DSI. Um, and so that raises the question about anonymity and, um, you know, in terms of self-sovereign identity, you know, um, kind of flipping the funding model on its head, right? Because, um, you know, now you can have citizen researchers who can create and curate their own self-sovereign identities and reputations as researchers and um, really, um, you know, get funding and, and perform research through DAOs in unique ways that are not possible in the current, you know, scientific research community. So um, that was the first thing that kind of came to mind. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. I think you, you you mentioned something there that I think maybe we can unpin, that's pseudonymity, right? In fact, I was having this conversation uh, with Gloria yesterday and even with uh, one of my other buddies here uh, out of Los Angeles, where I'm based out of, and we're talking about the space really uh, having uh, pseudonymous actors, right? And I think that that's by nature 
some of the uh, some of the things that are inherent to these privacy preserving uh, technologies that individuals want to interact with you know the blockchain and with projects uh, in a way that is uh, unrelated to their own you know uh, identity in the real world and some of the challenges that I that that I that were brought up in that discussion are that there are these individuals that while they are pseudonymous they are not necessarily bad actors right and certainly you can uh, probably have an argument on the other end where it's like oh well if you're pseudonymous how do we know that you aren't going to you know do something that is uh you know against the rules or that are hurt the community right um and you know for the most part though i, I think sometimes we confuse you know doxing oneself with uh, a, a level of accountability a level of like um, you know, being recognized for who you are in the real world and, and that you will not act in a way that will hurt people or the community uh, that you're representing. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? Because, I mean, in the real world, you could meet someone face-to-face, -face, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a sense of who they are and what they've done in the past. Just generally, the reputation that uh, someone has built out over time that you can assess is, uh, you know, how you know someone's going to be reputable, uh, not just because you know who they are and you've seen their face. So I, I think there's something there in terms of some of these um, kind of opportunities that we can unlock to pseudonymous uh, people in, in Web3, where instead of looking at who they are as, you know, individuals in, in terms of like uh, who they are in the real world, we look at like their behavior over time. And from that, we can gain uh, an understanding of, you know, what type of behavior uh, they they engage in. And, you know, maybe also as some sort of like uh, metric by which you can uh, trust an individual, right? So say, for example, there's a developer or in your example, David, there's a writer in DSI where this researcher has been contributing Right, um, these these uh, re this research over time, this person doesn't necessarily have to reveal who they are, reveal their identity, but it is through that recurring activity, you know, uh, positive uh, conscience to that DAO, for instance, where they can gain or unlock that reputation, and it's that reputation that we could then use to uh, unlock. Uh, additional governance opportunities for them. Uh, whether that means, you know, we get, you get some sort of vote multiplier, right? For instance, because you are an active contributor, you're not just someone who's holding tokens, but you're actually someone that's contributing to the growth of that application to that community. Um, or uh, it's, it's something else, right? Um, so certainly I think that this is something that, um, where identity and reputation can play a bigger role in terms of like how governance could become a little richer and still kind of, uh, you know, kind of respecting the pseudonymity uh, or even embracing the pseudonymity of our contributors. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, you piggybacked on that really, <clears throat> really well, Humpty. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think there is that discussion around the value of anonymity and pseudonymity and, um, you know, and I think the discussion we had last week was actually really interesting of, um, you know, not, not being necessarily 
held hostage by, you know, the design of who the people designing identity and reputation and being able to, you know, I guess start from zero if, if that's, you know, is that part of being self-sovereign, the right and the ability to create a new identity because something has, you know, gone wrong in a certain community or whatnot. So I don't know, maybe that's another interesting aspect to unpack. Yeah, I think you you I think you're hitting on some interesting points there. Um, I, I I actually want to get Phillips like thoughts on this, but ultimately, like I have like one of my like uh, I have a uh, one of like my principles is if the governance system you're designing doesn't work for anonymous people, then it's still trust based, right? You haven't actually designed a trustless um, governance system. And I'm not saying that's like what we need to be doing now because I think that is the destination, right? That is where we need to end up. It's incredibly hard to get to. And I think what we are starting to see is challenging the idea of what it means to be anonymous. And even why, and I think being anonymous has been like a code switching for something else we're trying to do, which is build trustless systems, right? So it's kind of recursive logic. If it works for anonymous actors, then you have built a trustless system. Um, and, and I think that's a little different than the self-sovereign piece, right? The self-sovereign piece I think is really fascinating because to, to be self-sovereign means you can like fork the entire network, right? That's what being self-sovereign means. It means you can fork the entire network or you can break it down to the most composable unit, which is you, right? And if you're able to be just as productive as a single person um, as you would in a community, then it's like truly self-sovereign. If you're able to do it while being anonymous, it's like truly trustless. Uh, and so like, I think we should think of these less as like uh, inputs into our governance design and more as like barometers and like measuring sticks into what we're building in governance systems. Um, you know, I think that's why we uh, really like voting, <laughs> to be honest. Um, because voting is a like relatively, you can be anonymous, right? You have to, but there's another component of this where you have to prove to be a human as part of that group, right? And that's where like identity is different. Like proof of identity is different than proof of like humanhood or humanity, so. That's interesting. I think you hit on two things there. Uh, Chris B, go ahead. I was just gonna um, expand on sort of the idea of the self-sovereignty component to what you were saying or the original question you asked and talk about one other sort of vein of self-sovereignty is being able to take things you've done maybe under a different pseudonym and bring them with you to a new project and display them or present them in a way that doesn't reveal what your pseudonym was on the other project, but that you did that thing or maybe some capability. Like one example in the way early days of this, I know this is sounds like science fiction today, but imagine if I could generate a zero knowledge proof of a bunch of code that I committed to a very important project and I come into a new community and I can present that zero knowledge proof as proof that I am a developer of a certain capability without divulging the exact project I contributed it to. So that to me is a really new interesting space for self-sovereign identity in these sort of pseudonymous environments where we maybe want to have different personas in different projects. I strongly agree that that we need to allow people to have different personas, but you can't show up, but you can't show up in one community and pretend to be multiple personas at the same time. 
and and have those benefits like pick pick one persona to show up in a community when i first got introduced to colony way back way back in the day they uh i was talking with r mcmillan who totally believed in civil resistance but didn't think they needed it in colony because they're like well we have these different different managers and someone's doing the work and someone's reviewing it and i said yeah but what if you have a situation where it turns out the person doing the work and the three managers reviewing it are all the same person so like you thought there was thorough distributed government uh, you know sort of oversight but there wasn't this is a super interesting idea if i might add something here it's interesting because the more you hear about this idea of bringing uh, a kind of fledged out identity to the blockchain very often you don't stop and think about like how how big of a scope do you need and it's funny that you mentioned Oren because now I feel like from what I'm reading his new point on this is you just need to prove you're unique like that's the only requirement you don't need to say where you're from or what you've worked on before like the limitation of what we should strive for in terms of identity is just unique human. And, and I find this, I, I don't agree with this idea, but I find it super interesting because uh, just kind of by respect of uh, a few people who can hold these principles, uh, I know that they've been around for a very long time and, and it seems to be a very good first step anyway. And anything more than actually proving you're unique then you need some really good privacy around it because uh, that part gets really dangerous. The other thing, I'm in a bunch of the tribute DAOs and, and, and the, the Lao and Flingo. One of the things we've talked about is, is sort of like a, a seal of approval, a, a good actor badge that, 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 you can, that you can show up somewhere else and say, hey, this, this has said I'm a good actor. You don't know which community member I am, but, but, but you know that at least this other community is like that is vouching for me and that's meaningful and, and that's meaningful. So I, you know, if, if you could have uh, multiple stamps, so you can't, I, I don't think it should be a passport where they can see every stamp. It, it's gotta be that, that it's, it's self-sovereign and that you can show the ones you want so that they can't just like triangulate and figure out, Oh, well you must be this person because you have data points. So two, two pieces on, on that. I think um, first, I think the badges concept gets like pretty fascinating in the sense where I, I think that like, well, without bleeding into like, you know, SBTs versus VCs real like without bleeding into that discussion, I think the idea of badges gets really interesting because I think once you introduce the concept of badges, we immediately add an insane amount of complexity to like the ecosystem we're building. Um, but I agree that like having some kind of trusted person badge is like, honestly how society has operated for thousands of years right like that's how religions are built that's how communities are built that's how nations are built like if you were just like a pirate going through the waters people saw how good you were based off all the loot you had like it's all just based off badges um but to, to nathan's point about uniqueness versus um versus badges we'll say or uniqueness versus like how much you need to give away i think there, again we're hitting on a point that often gets conflated is that what is the minimum requirement for you to be able to participate in me? And then what what are ways to scale up your expertise, like assumed expertise, right when you show up, right? And I think I think where Oren is right 
or I don't know if I'm willing to say he's right yet, but something that I, I agree is, is quite interesting is to say the minimum barometer to participate in any type of community governance is to prove that you are a person, you are a unique person, pardon me, to prove you are a unique person. If you want additional responsibilities in the DAO, you need to reveal additional parts of your identity, right? Whether that's the form of badges or whether that's the form of whatever we want to call it. Uh, understanding that that's like a spectrum and that's a, fu- that's a function with a direct correlation. Um, and I think that is the trade-off here. And like, that's the conversation not being had. Is that a good requirement to have to say, Hey, to show up with more assumed level of utility, you need to tell us more about yourself. Like, is that an okay thing to do? Yeah. <clears throat> Can I just add uh, on uh, Aaron's point? Uh, yeah. I completely agree with him uh, on the fact that it's like the privacy and like what you want to show about yourself is a, is a spectrum. And like, for example, about this use case, uh, again, like uh, around the topic of uh, SBT against DC, I see that they are kind of both uh, complementary. So, for example, you can have uh, a badge, uh, a soul bound token uh, that is saying that you are a person, a profit person of the token. And then you can have other information about yourself that are stored uh, in a form of. Uh, verifiable credential, so then uh, off-chain. And for example, you can kind of uh, selectively disclose uh, this information, so you can kind of mix mix those two primitives uh, for a specific use case, and you don't have to choose, actually. It's not like everything is public or everything is private. You can choose around like the use case and the need that... um, that you want to accomplish, basically. You know, one thing that I kind of want to maybe backtrack a little bit uh, that I think kind of set up this discussion, which has been really fantastic, is the differentiation between two things here. And what I heard was the proof of identity is different from proof of humanity. So I, I kind of want to th- uh, talk about generally what your thoughts are in terms of what we've been discussing so far. And if that is something that is applied to unique identities or humanhood or personhood uh, when it comes to these badges or these ways of like, uh, you know, recognizing uh, that you're a good actor, right? So these good actor badges, as as, as uh, Philip mentioned, are these something that are built on, you know, these identities, which, uh, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, they may be symbols or this actually attack, attached to your personhood? Something that's, uh, you know, you're a unique human. Love that. That's like, man, that's a huge question. And it, and uh, before I forget the thought, I think one of the things that's now become clear is there's actually three different like axes to look at. There's proof of identity, there's proof of uniqueness, and there's proof of humanhood, right? Um, and I would really defer to Philip on a lot of those different pieces. Um, the way that we see it is that it's based off uh, to your specific question is it's per, it's profile or it's per, it's like, yeah, it's profile or persona based, right? You earn badges on a persona or a profile. Um, if you like, I, Aaron, sometimes I'm an agent of chaos and sometimes I'm an agent of good, right? But <laughs> I can't take my good actor badge and apply it to my agent of chaos persona, you know? Um, so I, I don't know. I think that gets like kind of complicated, but uh, 
I do think in that question, there is actually three axes. Identity, the unique things that make you up and, and are kind of what explains you. Like proof of uniqueness is um, how unique I think your pro- persona is, I'm going to say. And the humanity is like all traced back to are you one person or one actor? Um, I don't know, Philip, if you have a different way to think about those three things. I mean, I think that's a, that's a good framing. Uh, I, I struggle to imagine things that are improved by letting more than letting, letting any human have more than one persona in any given context that like to, to pretend to be multiple people within the same conversation, within this, within, within the same group, I can think of lots of reasons why I would like people to be able to split uh, across things so that in, in one DAO, like they can be the agent of chaos and in a different DAO, they can be the, the cooperative one. Totally fine for them to do that. But I don't, I don't think it helps to be, to have one person playing both of those roles in the same DAO. So uh, that's why that like one proof of humanity part is, it is, is important, but, but it's important that when you provide that proof of humanity that you're not providing anything else so that you can choose which persona you want to show up as. And, and that's how, how bright ideas always thought of it is, you know, when you, when you give your bright ID verification, the only thing that you have given that application is the fact that, that you exist once within the context of, of that community, that application. Um, so I, I think that's an that's an important thing that we do. Sorry, Hamdi, I have a quick question for Philip. I, I, one, you just blew my mind. But two, um, okay, so we're saying that you, I, I, I think it's an interesting idea. I, I agree with you. I think, and I and I want to spend a lot of time thinking about this. That there's very little reasons to have multiple personas within one context. Okay, right. That's what you're saying. Or community. Okay. If you have different personas within different, I have persona A in, in community A and persona B in community B, um, and there's other similar actors between those, do you think there's a responsibility of whatever identity protocol that other community members should know you are a human with different personas? Like, does everyone else in the group need to know that this is persona B of Philip? Or is it not? Is there not like some responsibility requirement for that? Does that question make sense? I feel like we don't we we don't owe that obligation to each other. You know, my wife knows me as as a different person than my friends do and she doesn't even really know what with my friends when she's not around. Right, but she knows that that person is still you, right? Like she knows she doesn't know what that persona is, but she knows you have another persona and she knows that persona still belongs to Philip. Right? I, I wouldn't want to require that at some like protocol at some protocol level. I think it's, I think it's, it's asking, it's asking too much. I, I think that people should be allowed to, to show, to show up anew. Um, you, you know, people always talk about the, the black mirror episode with the social credit score. I, I don't want, I don't want you to, to be able to, to be stuck forever uh, because of the actions you did in you did in one place in one community, it's never been that way for humans. Like you could always, dude, you blew it in one place. You could get on a boat, sail across the ocean, and start your life anew. I, I don't want to take that away in the digital sense. 
If we do a lot, so uh, sorry, one last follow up on this. I, I think I agree with you. I'm not 100% sure. But is there any kind of then like double dipping here to say like we do allow you to bring your positive badge, like your positive traits across personas, but we don't allow you to bring your negative traits across? So, so we we thought about a lot of people on the Bright ID side have said like, hey, so like Gitcoin is like, hey, we have information we think about Sybils. Would they be able to like to like tell you and have it incorporate in your uh, in your graph? And basically, what we decided was, hey, if people wanted to accept a badge onto the graph, that that's something that we would let them do. But that's really only going to work for positive things that people want attached, because we can't we we can't let we can't let someone attach things to people that, that like don't don't accept it and and have it follow them so uh the badge needs to be accepted to be accepted by the individual not just placed upon them never to be withdrawable yeah i think that speaks to sovereignty and revocability right which i think is a words that get used often when we talk about these uh credentials or these badges if you will where there needs to be a form of revocability uh, we can't necessarily hard code, um, you know, some of these attributes to an individual's identity because they're, you know, that just that that could get very dystopic very fast. But but if you even let them put it there in the first place, like the internet doesn't forget things. So if there was an operation that put it there, even if it gets deleted a second later, like if someone screenshotted that thing, you know, if someone's got the got the database, they're gonna have it forever. So like a, a provability, revocability, it sounds like. Uh, so again, just a challenge. Is that true? Like, even if the thing being attached to you is a true, are we saying that like you still, it's a, like, I think we can all agree that in governance, dissent or negative votes are just as important as positive votes. Is attaching negative traits and saying, even if this is true, the person has to be willing to accept it, like, we're saying that that's still not okay. They're like, we only like you have to accept. We have to enable people to accept all, and that even if it's true, if they don't accept it, then it still doesn't matter. I'd like to piggyback on that too. Uh, to add to that question, I guess uh, in terms of governance, is this also something uh, that is true in term context. So, in order to participate in this governance, there's almost like a required approval of some of these uh, attributes or traits on a person's identity. And it's if they don't want those uh, attributes being attached to their identity, then don't participate in the system. So is it more contextual, I guess, is what I'd like to add on top of what Aaron said. It could certainly be. Right. The, the, the thing is that you should someone should decide if they're willing to accept the thing that someone's suggesting to put on them in this in this permanent way. Um, and, and, and yes, yeah, some applications be like, Hey, we require this. We're going to, we're going to stick this, this badge on you. That's a requirement of participation. I, I have, I have, I have not, but I still want the person to agree to agree to accept it. But I mean, technically I can create an NFT, send it to your address, make it non-transferable. And on that NFT I've written um, that person uh, hacked my protocol or something, and you can't ever take it away from your from your address. There's no transfer function in that NFT, and 
you know, you're stuck with a badge that is quite negative and there's not much you can do about it. So then I, but I can I really walk away from the address. Yeah, you can walk away from the address, but then you're walking away from all the good things as well, right? Like you're walking away from the good person badges that I, that I truly want to keep. Like what I like about what, what we're talking about is just kind of this idea that you've also got like a big red button. If, if someone's saying, like if you really majorly fucked up on an address, like you were saying, you travel the ocean, remake your life in America, new address, Clean slates. Uh, you're going to lose a lot from doing this, but also like th- this is uh, there is a right to be forgotten that I think is very on the internet. And the truth is that's kind of why you know I talk more and more with different people uh, like Sysmo, for example, that allows you to kind of bundle addresses together without really revealing too much about an individual address. Showing up as you know this is my main address, and I'm choosing what I'm gonna show you about my main address um, or, or even stuff like Disco, which takes these credentials and kind of all these badges off chain, which I think is actually quite positive. And I think kind of like the next step of this conversation is discussing what needs to be on chain and what needs to be off chain. And I think in terms of credentials, stuff that is more than I am a unique human I think most of it belongs off-chain, actually, because that gives you a better right to be forgotten and a better, you know, opportunity to show off what you want to show off to the, you know, to the particular DAO that you'd like to join. Um, and I think that kind of even works better. You know, it works in the sense that uh, you were describing, Philip, of you show up to a new DAO and you show you're, you're not already in this DAO and you kind of want to show... You know, let's imagine it's like a design DAO. Then you show a certain set of skills and characteristics. That if it's like a, I don't know, like a uh, an anime enjoyer DAO, you know. Uh, so that, that's how I feel about it. I, I think often we strive to put things on chain that shouldn't really be on chain, and we solve a lot of these hard problems by keeping some of that stuff off, where it can be, you know. Forgotten, and that's not even talking about the fact that any kind of encryption is going to be broken by, by definition at a certain point in the future. So even stuff that is protected by zk proofs, you know, I, I don't want to get too into this because I'm not a mathematician. But a day in the future, this will be, you know, a form of encryption that is broken as well. So yeah, curious to hear more thoughts on this. I like that somehow. We ended up back on the topic of soulbound tokens and verifiable credentials, which seems to be kind of this topic that's pervasive across uh, digital identity conversations and reputation. And, you know, Nathan, I, I would agree with you that off-chain data or having some of these, uh, you know, kind of reputation or, or credentials be off-chain is part of that solution, right? Because there's something to be said about, you know, um, NFTs and kind of this more public facing data 